welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, my friends, if you want to find your seats, I hate breaking up this lovely little buzz. This is great. This is great. Oh, my goodness. So great to be with you. Um, again, my name is Micah, and I'll just add to, to Molly's um, announcement. One of the things that we want to do and want to try to be is transparent around Awaken, and so um, we, uh, we want to do these quarterly updates where we just quickly and briefly say, here's how things are going, and, um, and I would just say this. Um, I would, I would want to note this, uh, and it's a note of celebration. Uh, this is one of the most generous churches I have ever been a part of in my entire life, um, and that is to be celebrated. I am humbled uh, every time um, when our sort of monthly reports come in and, and I see uh, that so many of you have said yes to the vision and the mission of this church to the degree that you invest your resources and your money. Um, and uh, I can't tell you how much that means. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your hearts. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for helping make um, the mission and vision of Awaken happen. It, it means a lot. Um, I have a Sunday morning routine where uh, we, we come here in the morning and uh, make sure the church is still here and hasn't burned down and everything is going in the right direction. And then I leave and I go to Brugger's and uh, I get a Western with no onions and a sun-dried tomato bagel. It's a very, very tasty little dish. And often my kids join me. Uh, Hadley, my 12-year-old, is in the back doing lights this morning. And so uh, when she's doing that, she joins me. And this morning, uh, one of my other children uh, awoke. Daylight savings is a mean trick to parents. <laughs> and she was awake, and she said, Dad, can I come? And I, so we said, sure. So we're sitting at Burgers this morning, and one of them ordered a uh, uh, cinnamon sugar bagel. They both ordered cinnamon sugar bagels. One of them got plain cream cheese. The other got pumpkin cream cheese. And I could tell the one was looking at the, the other with the, the pumpkin, like wanting the pumpkin cream cheese one. And uh, at one point I said, you're wishing you had pumpkin cream cheese, didn't you? And she looked at me and she said, no, I just want more. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. I want to begin this morning with an image um, because I want to tell you a story. And I want to remind you of something um, because we are starting a new series today that is a lot about the future and a lot about where we're going and what we're dreaming about. And I once heard a wise man, uh, a rabbi, say that you can't really go into the future until you know your past. And so this is a picture of a tree that uh, about eight years ago, almost to the weekend, um, I sat underneath on the shore of Lake Mille Lacs. I had gone on a, spirit, a little silent retreat for four days and my one task was to discern and determine if God wanted us to start a church. And so I sat underneath this tree, which ironically has become a bit of an iconic piece of who we are uh, as a church. Um, and I said to God, do you want me to start this church? And when you ask a question like that to God, I think you expect certain responses. You know, like, yes, I'm calling you, Micah, to do this. Or, you know, step out in faith and go and do this thing. And, and you know, uh, this sort of rousing call to ministry. And what I heard was none of those things, but in fact what I heard was a question, which is fitting, I think, of God. And the question was, what do you want? 
It reminds me of a story when a blind guy comes to Jesus and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? What do you want? And so I started thinking and I started imagining, I started dreaming, and I started dreaming of a church that was a safe place for people. A safe place for people to ask hard questions, a safe place for people to journey, a safe place for pastors to ask hard questions, amen? Where people like me who have doubts and wonderings can ask those things and be real and honest. I started imagining a church that was tenaciously about Jesus and rediscovering the Jesus of the Gospels, a Jesus that I had not seen in a long time for some odd reason. I dreamt of a church that was doing, that, that where God was doing something in our midst that was only explicable by the Spirit's work. And I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who said, whether we were at the joke joint or here in this, this building, who have said, for some reason, like before the first song was sung, before the first sermon was preached, before the first note was played, I walked in this place and I felt like this is home. A work that only the Spirit can explain. I dreamt of a community that was desperate and dependent on a move of God. I dreamt of a group of people who were partnered with God in this work of redemption and renewal. And so, friends, I guess I'm here to, t to say this morning, six and a half years into this thing, that so many of our hopes and dreams have come to pass. And you all here are reason to celebrate, and you are evidence that God has been at work in our midst. We begin this new series this morning called Emanate because I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not done dreaming like, what if this is too small of a vision? What if there's more? Like, is it possible that we, our best days are in front of us? And so I don't know about you, but I'm not done dreaming. I'm not done hoping. I'm not done wondering what it is that God might do in our midst. And that's what this series is about. This series and my imagination have been captivated by this obscure prayer in a book that m many of you probably couldn't even find in 30 seconds in your Bible called Habakkuk. It's an Old Testament prophet, and this guy was writing before the, 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 the kingdom of Judah fell when the Babylonians came in and took them captive. And he's asking the Lord, how long must we cry out? How long will the wicked seem to prosper? How long will the righteous be oppressed? And God's response to Habakkuk is, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And Habakkuk responds with these words, which have just captured me. Lord, I have heard your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Awaken, can I invite you to pray with me? God, we have heard your fame. We have seen and we stand in awe of your deeds. Make them known in our day and in our time. Again, do it again. Do it again, God. Do something only you can do. Do something that only you could take credit for in our midst. I want to invite you to begin praying that with me as we think about the future of this church and where we're headed. So emanate. Uh, this is a word that's kind of interesting, and I did a little dictionary research for you. The word emanate means this. It's a verb. I think we have a slide with the definition. There it is. Yes. So it means to flow out, issue, or proceed as from a source or origin, to come forth or originate. So to flow out, issue, or proceed as from a source or origin. It's my firm conviction that all of the scriptures 
can be pointed back to a moment when God chose, in, in the heart of God, when God decided to act out of deep love and commitment to engage in this process of restoration and renewal. And then everything we see in the scriptures flows from this moment where God decides to act and be engaged in renewal and restoration, flowing from this single origin, as it were. So the people of Israel in the book of Genesis, when Abram shows up in Genesis 12, this is the first emanation of God's action. This is the sort of water that drops in the pool, and Israel becomes the first ripple that begins to move out from God's action to renew and restore and redeem all that God made good. And then, of course, in the book of Acts, the church of Jesus becomes the second emanation of God's action, that God acts decisively and definitively in history, and the ripple effects of that are you and I. And so this church and all of the others who gather in the name of Jesus this morning are an emanation of God's action. So I want to talk about this idea of emanation, of to emanate. And in the next three weeks, we're going to unpack that. Today, I want to do it from a theological perspective. Next week, I want to look at what are the requirements. If this is true, if this is in fact true of God's people and what it means to be God's people, then what does that mean for us as a church? And then in week three, I want to speak specifically about the, the discerning process that we have been in as a leadership team and where, what this means for us and where we're headed. So if you miss any, don't miss that one, all right? Um, week three, November 20th. So, if you have your Bible, stand, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and 2. I'm going to read two passages, verses 4 to 8 from chapter 1 and verses 46 and 48 from chapter 2. Acts 1, verse 4 says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Flip to chapter 2, starting in verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple court, speaking of this new people of God, the church. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning, this humble little group of people in this small little place, in this large galaxy we are grateful for who you are. God, we are humbled that you have asked, that you have invited your church to be a part of what you're doing. This action, this decisive moment when you acted to redeem and restore and renew and then invited us into it. And so God, as we, ex as we explore this idea and what it means for us, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to guide us and lead us. God, that we would have eyes to see you and ears to hear your voice. Uh, a sense of what your spirit is inviting us to do. God, may we have the courage to step into that by faith, trusting you, trusting your character, your love for the world and for us. I pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So if in fact, if in fact, God's people in the scriptures, Israel and now the church, is an emanation of God's action, 
What can we say about that theologically? First and foremost, I want to say, and I think it's important that we start here, that the church, the people of God in the world, are empowered by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, right? This is right after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Luke is continuing his gospel. Did you guys know that? That Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. So Luke continues his gospel in the book of Acts. And he says that Jesus is with them. And as they're gathering around, they're wondering about the kingdom. When will God do this thing? And Jesus says, wait. Wait here until you're empowered, given this Holy Spirit, which will empower you. A couple of weeks ago, we had a partnership class, and uh, this is something that we do every now and again for those who are making steps towards uh, what tr traditionally churches call membership, we call partnership. And one particular person um, who was there the last time we met, we were talking about partnership and just having people share their stories and how they got there. My good friend Joshua um, says, Micah, Pastor Micah, uh, I, I was waiting and waiting and waiting to hear about the Holy Spirit. I read these things over here on the wall and no mention of the Spirit. And, and I, I've read the things on the website, but no mention of the Spirit. And I thought, I can't be a part of this church without the Spirit. And so a couple of weeks ago, we preached through a series and we talked about the importance of a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God is the one empowering us. And Joshua said, when I heard that sermon, I said, okay, I can be here. We have to remember that what God, what, what God desires, what God sets out to do, God empowers and God enables. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what's fascinating is this, this what, what, what's happening here in Acts chapter 2, what we typically call Pentecost, right? When the Spirit of God comes and empowers the church to do and be what God calls the church to be in the world. This is called Pentecost. What many people don't know is in the Jewish calendar, what's actually being celebrated is Shavuot. And Shavuot is the giving of Torah. It's the giving of the law. So Charlton Heston goes up on the mountain, and God comes and gives him the Ten Commandments, and then what's called the law, Torah. And what's fascinating to me is that we think about the church, and we think about this emanation of God's action in the world as the church, and it being empowered to do and be what God asks it to do and be. But for the Jew in the first century, there was no difference. They felt empowered and enabled because God gave them the law, gave them Torah to live into and to be the people God called them to be. And so what's being celebrated at Shavuot is the empowering and the enabling of God's people to do and be what God called them to be. And what we're celebrating at Pentecost is the empowering and the enabling of God's people to do what God's called us to do and be in the world. It's the same thing. It's fascinating. As we think about the action of God and as it emanates out from God's heart, I think it's important for us to start here. Because some of the things that we might feel called or invited or discerned that God is leading us to do might not feel comfortable or there may be doubts or there may be wonderings, there may be scared. What if we screw it all up? Maybe that's a question you don't think about, but I think about it all the time. Like, this is so fun. What if we screw it up? What if, it just, what if the whole thing goes up in flames? I think about that kind of thing. You know, like if we take this step of faith and we go and we try to do this thing and it doesn't work, then what? God empowers and enables what God sets out to do. And so if we discern that God is leading in a certain way, we have to remember, as scared as we might be, Micah, as many doubts as Micah you might have, God empowers and enables what God sets out to do in the world. 
Church, don't forget that. Awaken tends to be a thinking place. There are a lot of you who come here and, you, and, you, and you, you've wanted to interrogate your faith and you've wanted it to be reasonable and there are things that didn't make sense in the past and so you're working them out here, which is lovely, wonderful, beautiful, awesome. But our danger, our downside, our potential shortcoming is that we forget the fact that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, empowers the church to do what God's called us to do. Amen? So we may see things that we don't understand. We may see people get healed. We may see marriages resurrected from the dead. Hallelujah. We may see things that we have no explanation for. And when we do, we just say, God empowers and enables what God has set out to do in the world. Amen? So we have to start there. I would secondly say this, that the spirit or the, the church as an emanation of God's action in the world is always, always, always going out. It's always going out. I grew up uh, in the Midway, and I went to a school called Central Lutheran until my parents had multiple kids, and then it just got, they're like, man, if we have to keep paying these fees for all these kids, like, what in the world? So we stopped going to Central Lutheran, we started going to St. Anthony Park. But I remember on the playground at Central Lutheran, there was a merry-go-round. You guys remember, whoa, this is big. Back when, like, the playgrounds, OSHA would have had a fit with some of these playgrounds, you know? <laughs> I mean, how did kids not die out there on these playgrounds? I just don't even know. An old-fashioned merry-go-round, metal, you know, that just baked in the sun, so if you stepped on it, it burned your hands. It was awesome. You know? Don't do that again. You know, you learn a lot of lessons out there on the playground. But a merry-go-round, you get on this thing, and of course, when you spin it, you start in the center, right? And at that point, you just get dizzy. But the moment you move away from the center, you start to feel something, right? And it's called centrifugal force. And it's this, this, this force that pushes you away from the center. And by the end, you know, someone's just slinging this thing. And you're like literally, you know, 75 pounds or whatever, hanging on the edge, flying around with feet, you know, off of the earth. It was just fabulous until you couldn't hang on anymore. And then you hoped that nobody got in your way when you flung off. That's called centrifugal force. I also, it's also called awesome, yeah. <laughs> I went to Valley Fair for the first time in high school, uh, I think with my, with my youth group, and this was back before the wild thing was built, and I think Excalibur had just been erected, and at that point, you still needed chiropractic care after riding it, even as a brand new roller coaster. But there was this one little roller coaster called the Corkscrew, and this was a, this was a big deal, the corkscrew, right? The corkscrew, you went down the deal, and then you went upside down, right? And then you literally corkscrewed through. And I remember thinking, or I remember feeling, experiencing this for the first time, and like when you go up and you're in the corkscrew, and you start to go up that thing, and it's like you're just being like compressed into, they call like G-forces, for those of you pilots in the room. Are there any pilots in the room? Okay, all right, yeah, there you go. Just this, just for you. That's, that's fantastic. So you're on the corkscrew, and it's this thing that, like, pushes you into your seat, which is called centripetal force. Centrifugal force is this, the effects of inertia that sort of push you out from the center. Centripetal force is the effect uh, that where you're sort of pushed in towards the center, or you follow the curve of the line that you're on. Now, why do I tell you about centripetal and centrifugal force? It's a great question. Genesis chapter 11, we get a very interesting comment about a guy named Terah. Nobody knows about Terah. Everybody knows about Abram, but nobody knows about Terah. The end of chapter 11, it reads this. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot's son, 
of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. Together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. This is the same thing that Abram did, set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So Terah, his father, right, gets the same invitation, possibly. Is it possible that the first call of God was not to Abram, but to Terah? And here's what it says. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Chapter 12 opens with verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's house to a land I will show you. And verse 4 says, and so Abram went. God's people from the very beginning is always a story of going out. God's people are a sent people. It was never about, and it still is not about, a group of people turned in on themselves. This thing doesn't exist for us. The moment this institution begins to propagate or exist for itself is the moment we die. We settle in Haran and we die. The church is not about us. Do we benefit from it? Do we gain from it? Do we grow in it? Yes, yes, and yes. But it is not fundamentally about you and me. It's about the mission that God has sent the church on in the world and for the world. The moment we forget that is the moment we set up camp in Haran and we begin dying. So when we talk about the emanation of God's action in the world, we must not forget that it is always going out. It is always going out. It's centripetal. No, centrifugal. Centrifugal. Centrifuge. Sending it out. Sending it out. Last, I'll say this. God's people, the emanation of God's action is always expanding and growing. Which means, my friends, it is never static or stationary. It will require you to grow and change and move. If you got into this thing because you loved that pew and you wanted to sit there until the day you die, I have bad news for you. You got to move. So fascinating. Torah, sin, and repentance. Torah, in Hebrew, it means teachings. But it comes from the root that has this idea of casting something towards an object. So Torah, teaching, literally, literally means to cast something towards an object, a target. Sin, in scripture, the word hate, means to miss the mark. So to sin in scripture is literally to miss the mark when casting an object towards a target. Repent, shuv, teshuva, means turn or return. So spiritual life could be summed up as casting one's life towards a target or an object, and when you miss the mark, you turn or return. This is the spiritual life. The fascinating thing is that the target, it's moving. Son of a! Who? Nobody told me that! God, when Moses shows up in Exodus chapter 4 and he says, God, what's your name? What should I tell them who you are? What does he say? yod heh vav heh I am that I am. I will be what I will be. What God actually says is, I'm not a noun, I'm a verb. An ongoing action in the past, present, and future. 
God is on the move. God is moving. So God is not one stationary static being, or maybe we could say it differently, that there is always more that God is revealing about God's self to you and I. There's always more, always more, always more. So casting an object towards our target, when we miss the target, when we're off mark, we turn, we return. But the problem is that the target's moving. Son of a gun. Moses. Story of the Exodus. The people are whining, they're angry, they're like, we want to go back to Egypt, we want the leeks, the melons, the onions, the garlic, why did you bring us out here to die? The meat pots, I mean, oh my gosh, it was like a buffet every day, and you took us out here to die. Moses goes to the Lord, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're cranky, God says, tell them, take your wand, your, your, your wand, take your wand, Moses, <laughs> take your wand and strike the rock, right, take your staff and strike the rock, Moses strikes the rock and water comes out, right? It happens again. Numbers chapter 20, there's a new generation. All the old ones have died because they didn't go into the, to the, to the land in Numbers 13. A new generation in Numbers 20 is standing at the precipice of the land to go into Canaan. And Moses is there with all these young people waiting to go into the land. And they're asking, they're cranky, they're cranked up, and they're asking him. And it sounds a whole lot like what they were asking before. We want to go back to Egypt where the meat and the leeks and the onions. But they're asking a different question. And they're actually asking a question. They're asking for the fruit of the promised land. They're not asking for Egypt. They're asking for figs and grapes and wine and honey. Promised land fruit. And Moses can't hear it. He's angry. He's hacked off. He's like, gosh, these people. So he goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, speak to the rock, and water will come. Moses can't hear God either. So what does he do? He does what he always did. He, did. he does what he did before because he knows this. He's been here before, and God said, strike the rock, water will come. So he goes out there and he whacks the rock. Friends, there's a very real possibility that God, the God that was there in the first moment, has moved beyond and is asking you to do something far different than what it was before. Can you hear it? One of the rivers in the text is, can you hear in God's voice? Always expanding, always growing. Always expanding, always growing. If this church is the same a year from now, we have failed. If all the same people are here, we failed. We have missed something because God is on the move, doing something in the world. Always expanding, always growing. God added to their number daily. I don't think this is about evangelism or some great report of like, here's how, no, like, this is just the way it works. When the Spirit shows up and people are experiencing resurrection, hey, let's get on that train. Always expanding, always growing. So, I have good news and bad, bad news. The good news is, what a story to get swept up in, right? That like your life and what you do matters for the kingdom for the divine's work in the world. Holy cats. I mean, we got an extra hour of sleep, but it's better than that. <laughs> the bad news is, you're going to have to stretch. You're going to have to grow. Somebody might move your cheese. <laughs> Somebody might sit in your seat. And if you come to me, I'm going to tell you, it's not about you. At some point, you move 
from being welcomed as a guest and a newcomer and someone exploring and trying to find a home and community. From some point, you move from that experience to somebody who's making it happen with us, who's helping provide a home, who's helping to set the table for the divine. You can't stay here forever. So, my friends, whatever it is God might be inviting us to, I have a very good suspicion that it will be empowered by the Spirit, that we will be sent out, and that it will cause us and require us to expand and grow. I'm not wishing that we had pumpkin cream cheese. I'm not wishing that it looked different or sounded different or we had a better band or smoking lights. I just want more. I just want more. I'm not done dreaming. And I just want to invite you as the church to join me, to say like, God, where would you have us go? What would you have us do? What is in your heart for us? Give us ears. Did you know that hearing and seeing in scripture, it's not a given? That's why Jesus says all the time, give them those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Because some people can't hear and some people can't see. Open our hearts, God. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen, church? Okay, here we go. Pray with me. God, you are good. You are love. You are light. You are the one that resurrects. You are the one that comes and finds us when we are at our end. You are the one who gives hope where there seems to be no hope. You are the one who brings joy in the midst of despair. You are the one who brings life when there is death all around. So God, may we, as your church, be caught up in this story of renewal and of restoration, this emanation of your action, a God who does not abandon, a God who does not forget, but a God who remembers and who knows and takes action. God, in this moment of silence, I pray that you would capture our hearts wherever they are and move them wherever they need to go, just one step today. Here we are, God. Here you are. Speak to us. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What do you say? Go be the church today. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.